I was sued over a technicality regarding intent and capacity to close a real estate deal. Is this legal? Yes, Kendra, unfortunately but true, it is legal that you do have to have both the intention and the capacity to close on any contract to purchase a real estate property that you sign with a seller. Hey, 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 welcome to today's show on The Real Tea Talks with Tai hosted by investor queen, Tai. On this show, Tai aims to empower women, wives, and working parents with financial literacy fueled by real estate investing. Are you ready to learn how to create generational wealth and leave a legacy for your family? Go to www.wholesalingai.com. Now, for today's episode, here's your host and investor queen, Tai. Everyone, welcome into today's episode on today's Real Tea Talks with Tai podcast show. We are talking about intent and capacity to close on a real estate transaction, a purchase transaction at that. I can recall on several different instances, many times, where it was tested our intention and our capacity to close early on when we first started. I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine being sued. I was super optimistic when starting out and I was like thinking I was untouchable. Well, if you started in real estate as young as I did, when I was roughly seven, between 17 and 19 is really when I got into it heavy and full time. If you're that young, usually getting into real estate, the world is your oyster. You think of it and see it through the lens of nothing but infinite possibilities. While all of that is true and maybe also true for you, like it was for me, it is also to the detriment of your reputation if you do not understand even early on in your career, what the essence, what the importance and seriousness of intent and capacity to close mean. It is a clause that the real estate world upholds and lives by even in the judicial system, meaning even in the court system. What it simply means is basically that you have to have the intention or meaning the plan for in layman's terms, you have to have a plan to close on any single contract that you put a property under. Meaning once you put the property under contract, your plan has to be for that property to close. Now the silver lining exists and we'll talk about it a little bit more in detail in today's episode, but there is a silver lining and that means that plan can change. The other side of this double-headed sword is the capacity clause. The capacity clause basically means that you have to have the ability, right? It means you have to have the ability, the financial wherewithal to close on a contract that you put a property under, which means, for example, again, going back to super layman's terms so you just get it. Okay, on the opposite side of having the plan, the intention to close, the capacity to close is a whole separate beast, which means that you have to have either the money that you say you have when you put the property under contract 
or you have to have access to that money to close. That's the silver lining on the capacity side, meaning you don't necessarily have to have $100,000 in the bank when you put a property under contract for an offer you make on it for $100,000. However, it does mean that you need to know someone professionally, personally, or otherwise that does extend to you, grant you, right, the access to their funds to use to close. Now in real estate, a lot of people leverage the concept of OPM, other people's money. So that means if you develop early on your relationships and those relationships involving and centering around your financing sources, okay, then you can leverage those lenders into funding your deals and you can also steer clear of violating the capacity clause in real estate law. So let's get into it. In regards to the intention side, everybody kind of gets hung up on this when they're first starting out. Like, I don't have the intention to close. Well, honestly and technically, you shouldn't be getting started in real estate. Okay, that's just just, just the period point blank of it. However, your intention, your plan can change. It's just like if you intend to do anything, not just closing on a property. Think of it in terms of, do you have the intention to wake up tomorrow? Yes, when you go to sleep, your plan is to wake up the next morning and tackle your to-do list, usually, right? Do you have the intention to feed your children or your parents the next morning if you're caring for them? Yeah, your intention, usually a good parent or good child's intention is to uphold their obligation that they signed up for, right? Whether that means children or parents or other, whoever you care for. It's just an example. Do you have the intention to feed them? Yes, every day, everybody, usually, usually for the vast majority of people, they have the intention to eat, okay? Now, does that mean that everybody will eat? Well, unfortunately, even in America here, that is not the case, right? Everybody does not have the capacity to eat, Okay, what that means is that everybody does not have the financial wherewithal. That's why homelessness exists. That's why starvation, people even dying of starvation exists. So not to go too far off on a tangent, but just to kind of conceptualize what these two words mean and to kind of uh, dull it down to simple, simple things that we can relate to on an everyday basis. Do you have the plan to do something? Do you have the plan to wake up, to feed yourself, feed your child, feed your parents? Do you have feed your pet, right? Do you have the intention to marry someone when you're courting them? Do you have the intention to be a good human being? Do you have that plan? Is that on your radar, right? In real estate, it means do you have the intention, the plan to close on this property, good, bad, or ugly? Now, of course, there are contingencies which allow you to either change your plan or change your exit strategy, right? It doesn't glue you, right, and hamstring you to one plan. However, going in and signing that contract, your plan does initially have to be to close on the property. Now, if you're going in as a renovation um, intended property, right, meaning that you're going in with the intent to rehab or renovate the property, or you're going in with the hat of a landlord saying, hey, I intend to buy this property and hold it for passive income through rental real estate that I will allow my tenant or someone occupying that property to pay me every month for, right? If you're going in with either of those two intentions, 
then usually when you're starting off your career, your business model centers around renovation or re rental real estate, then you don't have any problem with this intention piece. It's really the wholesalers or marketers or bird dogs even that have and run into trouble with this piece of intention because their intention is to get in, get in fast, you know, make quick money, have this as a sideline, you know, side hustle type of gig or have this as a part-time thing that they're doing to supplement income whatever those things may be, their intention generally and technically is usually not to close on the property. So that's where they run into trouble, just like Kendra mentioned in her question today. Now, on the other side of that, capacity. Capacity means do you have the ability to finance your intention? Do you have the ability to finance your plan? Which means in real estate terms, do you have the money to purchase the property that you made an offer on? If you make an offer on a property, again, going back to my earlier example of $100,000, okay, $100,000. Do you have $100,000 or or access to $100,000 to be able to close on that property? If your answer is no, you should not be making or writing or let alone signing an offer to purchase a property, any property. Save yourself, save the seller, save your reputation for the little bit that you may even have it accumulated at this point, okay? Even if you've been doing this real estate for a while, right? So you can get sued, it is a real thing, and it is a serious thing that you need to keep in mind. If you don't have both of those, not either or, but both the intention to close and the capacity to do it, you're technically operating and running your real estate investment business illegally, just to be blunt, okay? Now, again, there are silver linings, meaning there are loopholes and gray areas which people exploit all the time, legally and unfortunately illegally. You wanna operate from the legal capacity so that you avoid lawsuits, you avoid tarnishing your brand before you even started and your reputation. Your name in real estate means everything. People will soon start to realize and find out your true intentions and your true capacity if you falter on either or both. So don't do it, okay? Learn the lay of the land, understand the basic overall main points of real estate law, and understand the compliances that go with wholesaling, renovating properties, and holding rentals as real estate in your state. If you don't understand those compliances, if you don't understand the laws, if you cannot simplify it to break it into layman's terms, your simple and most immediate task this week is to network with attorneys in your state that you intend to do business, even if you don't physically live there. Network with the local attorneys so that you can seek legal advice. You want to know the lay of the land. If you have to spend the $300 retainer an hour or $425 or $450 an hour for the attorney's time it is worth it okay unfortunately every day unfortunately like I mentioned people are sued for thousands of dollars per instance in Florida for example okay any violation is a thousand dollars per incident so would you rather protect yourself by seeking legal advice up front for $450 or less through a consultation with a local attorney to give you the lay of the land or would you sacrifice every contract or property that you put under contract in that state, if, especially if you're in Florida, having to pay a fine of double that amount, $1,000 per instance? If you're making five, even 10 offers a month, okay, 
because people, let's face it, are not usually making just one offer, then that fine can be already five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars. Again, if it's like Florida with a thousand dollars per instance that you are in violation of. So don't, don't do it. The main takeaways from today's show that I want to give you guys is number one, have the intention, have the plan, have a business model, have a business plan so that you can be very clear on your acquisition strategy, right? How you plan to acquire the properties that you are making offers on. And number two, after you develop a business plan or work with a coach or mentor, um, that's very important to help you dial in on that plan, then focus on the other side of this uh, spectrum, which is the capacity. Capacity means I want you guys to go out there and network with hard money lenders, private money lenders, transactional funders, okay, transactional funders, and conventional banks. Transactional funders mean that if you are wholesaling, then usually you need to be able to double close on the property in most states, okay, or have the capacity to do so. Transactional funders means that they fund you from anywhere within 24 hours of a loan that they extend to you up to about 30 days. That means they're paid usually higher interest, higher upfront fees, but if you're making $20,000 or more on a on a wholesale deal, then that two point closing cost upfront, which is two points means 2%, which equals of $20,000, that's $2,000, right? And you might be thinking, I want all 20,000. Well, no, no, you need to think not from a scarcity and limited transactional volume. You need to think from an abundance mindset. How many of these deals do I really intend to do? And is it worth then giving up $2,000 of my profit to have 100% financing from a transactional funder willing to extend me a loan to close on this property legally? take title to the property and then and then resell that property anywhere from 1 to 30 days later that is a transactional funder they're powerful they're necessary in most instances and they're absolutely worth leveraging and networking with so go out today and have the intention for this month, if this week is too compromising because you're doing this part-time, this month, set it on your to-do list. Number one, get a coach or a mentor to help you or dial in your own business plan. And number two, just start to network Google or search through online social media platforms, groups, and pages for hard money lenders, transactional funders, private money lenders, and even conventional banks. I wouldn't spend more than 75% of my time, focus, and energy and efforts on hard money lenders. They can give you access to capital within literally 24 hours or sometimes even less. Okay? They are willing to usually fund up to 75 to 85% of your purchase price or the after repair value which is huge, which means within 24 hours, you can literally fu be funded or have raised 75 to 85% of, of your purchase price or after repair value. For transactional funders, that means within that same amount of time, 24 hours, usually you can get funding or access, you then have the access and capacity to fund your deals up to 100% through a transactional lender. 
after you spend 75% of your time on hard money lenders, which transactional funders would fall within, they're professional money lenders, could be private money lenders or companies, or usually more typical, they are hard money lenders structured as companies to fund your deals on a short term basis. Then you want to spend at least 20% of your time networking to find and build relationships with private money lenders. They are your gap funder. They can fund either your down payment to purchase properties that you use a first lien position hard money lender to close, or they can also be your saving grace to provide a second lien to close not only the gap, but additional rehab funds as well so that your purchase plus your renovation budget in full or in part is covered. So spend 20% of your time focusing on building those relationships. They're vital, they're necessary, they can be flexible, and they can be extremely efficient in closing your deals and funding them very quickly. And then lastly, you want to spend at least 5% of your time finding conventional banks that you can work with to fund your deals. Now, you won't use conventional banks to fund wholesale or rehab deals. You only want to use and network with conventional banks once you're getting to the idea initially or future of holding um, holding properties for rental income, passive income through rental real estate. You're going to need to refinance through conventional banks or and you're going to need to purchase your rental properties that don't need a lot of repair through them. So that's why there's such a small percentage or represent a small percentage. If you actually intend for the sake of your business model to start out with rental real estate being your focal, then you do want to allocate more time. You do want to allocate more time to networking and finding conventional banks. Now, lastly, before we leave off on today's episode, I want to give you a golden nugget about this capacity clause, okay? Intention is usually pretty straightforward once people get, hey, do I have the plan to actually close on this property, have a business plan, and have the intention? One in the same. The capacity is where people, the most people, honestly, we see get hung up. I want you guys to like, share, subscribe to this channel before I give you this golden nugget and takeaway so that you can put this into action this week, this month, or even heck, this day, okay? Like, share, subscribe to the channel. Want you to be able to share this information, learn from this information, and absolutely implement this information that you're learning here today. Okay, so lastly, lastly, lastly today, I want to let you guys know this golden nugget in regards to how to actually be able to have a very solid relationship with conventional banks that can actually fund your deals. You're not going to want to go to your big box banks, meaning you're not gonna wanna go to your traditional banks, Wells Fargo, Chase, Bank of America. They honestly are not going to have the motivation, right, to need your type of deal, to need to fund you. Okay, so it's going to be a lot harder, not saying it's impossible, but especially if you're starting out, they're going to be requiring full docs, meaning two years pay stubs, tax returns, W-2s, um, and or 1099s, all of those things they're going to be in requirement of okay instead i don't want you guys to open up your personal or business checkings accounts with them 
or savings. If you already have them open, no problem. But here it goes. You want to find, research, and network with your local regional banks. That means credit unions. That means small local community banks that are in your local market that you intend to do deals with. Heck, even if you Google local conventional bank and then the name of your city or the state you plan to do business in, a ton of results will come up. It is then your job to reach out to them to ask them three simple questions. What loan products do you offer to real estate investors intending to purchase properties? Number two, what is the process to getting a proof of funds? Meaning that shows, that proof of funds, POF shows your capacity then to fund your deal. And you're going to absolutely want to accompany your offers you're making with that proof of funds. In most states, in most instances, especially if it's a listed property on the MLS by a licensed listing agent, they're going to require you to have a proof of funds. So you want to ask the lender, what is your process to getting one and that timeline to getting one? And lastly, you want to ask them, to walk you through the documentation that you'll need to provide them or and or information you'll need to provide them in order to get your proof of funds and or funding. Again, those three key points, which are gold. I wish someone told me this. If you listen to other episodes, I talk about it, mention it, but I wish someone really, really drilled this into me, is not to go to the big box banks. You instead want to go to your non-traditional banks, which are called local regional banks, or otherwise called credit unions, or otherwise called your community banks. They're smaller, you wanna target those that are newer, that are local to where you intend to do business, and that are relatively new, plus or minus five years in business. If they're older, no sweat, still put them to your list. But find one, build, uh, contact them to learn about their loan programs, process and timelines for proof of funds and funding, and then open an account with them, become a customer, open a business account and a checkings account, open a personal account and a personal savings account. Now you're a customer, now you're building your business around them and have your primary business and or personal accounts that you use with them. So they are very relationship-based, a lot easier to get funding from, and a lot, a lot more efficient to work with in your big box banks. I hope you guys got a lot out of this episode in regards to intent and capacity. I don't wanna discourage you, I don't wanna scare you in regards to uh, the potential of being sued but it is real so it's important to talk about like share subscribe to this channel leave me a message or find my contact information if you need help building your business plan and or with your capacity right developing your capacity to close please feel free to reach out anytime until next time you guys be happy healthy safe and well i hope nothing but the best for you sending peace and blessings to you all until next show be great Disclaimer, I am not a licensed attorney nor intending to practice law or give legal advice. Please seek competent legal advice from a licensed attorney in good standing practicing in your local real estate market.